Behold! The sword of power. Excalibur. Welcome to the Oh Gosh, Oh Golly, Oh Wow podcast, the podcast where we talk about the Marvel comic series Excalibur and nothing but Excalibur every week for 126 plus weeks. This week, we're talking sauropods in Excalibur 51, Don't Drink the Water, in which Excalibur's got a new logo and has become a new species. Excalibur number 51 was originally published in June 1992, and the creative team is Alan Davis on writing, Dougie Braithwaite on pencils, Mark McKenna, Jeff Albrecht, Jose Marzon, and Jimmy Palamodi on inks. I don't know why there are so many anchors. Glynis Oliver on colors, Michael Heisler on letters, and Cherry Cavanaugh on editing. Honey, I'm home. We have a fill-in issue this week, the first of several, and it's a bit of a goofy cool-off after the mega-sized intensity of Excalibur number 50, but it's a fun fill-in, I think. We'll see. Before we can debate the funness of everybody becoming dinosaurs, we've got to do some intros, starting with me. I am Dr. Anna Papard. I'm a writer and a researcher and a fan of stuff, including superhero stuff, especially when it features my unofficial client, Kurt Wagner. You can find lots of my academic writing behind paywalls and lots of my writing that's not behind paywalls at websites <laughs> like Shelf Dust and the Middle Spaces and Comic Sex App and Comic Book Herald. I am joined, as always, by Mav, if you'd be so kind as to reintroduce us to your credentials. Hi, my name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav. Uh, I am an adjunct instructor of English Lit and Composition and Cultural Studies and Lately Philosophy at like three different universities. It's been <laughs> much, I, have, I have way too many jobs. Um, I'm also <laughs> host of another podcast called Vox Popcast, and I am from another reality, which is just perfect, and I'm going to tell you that at every moment <laughs> that like, you know, if the world were less great, then, you know, I would be like you savages and <laughs> in this reality. Reality. This is a weird book. This, this mm -hmm. book is so weird. It really and then is. finally, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna try to not be confused with our guests who both have my name, and yet you're gonna see how little I am used to answering to the name Chris. Because <laughs> I'm really bad at it. So. <laughs> meeting you for the first time at the PCA conference and you had like your name tag on and it was like printed and it said Christopher Maverick and I remember like looking down and being like, oh hello Christopher and you were like yeah. oh god don't call me that no, and I was no. like, <laughs> it's, it's just Mav yeah anyway thank you for that um Andrew remind our listeners of where you're coming from 
Hello, I'm Dr. J. Andrew DeMann. I'm a lecturer at St. Jerome's University and project lead for the Claremont Run. Uh, I'm also here today to pitch to any video game developers out there that if they have the courage and vision to create the Excalibur video game that we all richly deserve, the oh boss battle of that game should absolutely be controlling Nightcrawler as he chases Farron into the garden. <laughs> <laughs> all i'm gonna be thinking about for the whole podcast i love it i love it with swords or without oh i don't know i mean <laughs> i'm gonna say yes because it's a boss battle right he's got he's got to find the enchanted weapon at some point i think we can all agree that he should be wearing the outfit that he's wearing in this issue which i believe is a white very tightly fitted turtleneck and a pair of very short red track shorts winning winning at the style game as always <laughs> all right let's get to our guests we are joined this week by a pair of super fab writers and podcasters and dinosaur enthusiasts in chris and christy edelman welcome edelmans hi hello Thank thanks you for, for having, having us. us on oh gosh we're married <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell the listeners a little bit about you. So Christy and Chris Edelman are the married co-hosts of the podcast Chris's on Infinite Earths. On the pod, they cover comic book crossover events of all types, from the strange to the obscure to the zany to the transcendent. They are also contributors to the very fine website Comics XF, where you can find them writing fabulous reviews of various comics. We will throw some links to their work up in our show notes. Now, Edelmans, I want to talk about your podcast, but before we do that, let's talk comics origin stories a little bit because I know you a little bit through Comics XF, but we've never gotten down to these important questions. So I am curious, you know, respectively, what are your comics origin stories? When did you discover comics? I am always jealous of everybody who talks about getting into comics or seeing comics as a, a kid, picking them up in various ways, because I comics were never a part of my life growing mm. up. Like, I don't think I first saw a comic book until college. And it was like, on the shelf of a boy that I was like casually seeing uh, and noticing like, oh my gosh, there are so many. And it, it was it was kind of interesting. So when I first started dating Chris in college, he took me into a comic shop for the first time. And I was like, wait, you have to like go in and like tell them what you want before you want it. You don't just get to go and like look and pick things up like it might not be there. It was mind blowing to me. And it was actually on our honeymoon. We were road tripping across across the country and stopped in a little comic shop. And it was the first time that I went and I picked out something totally on my own. It was the DC event Justice. I was like, ooh. Art looks pretty. I like that. Aww. I could. Th it, this doesn't look like something for little kids. It looks cool <laughs> and arty, and and now I, I my tastes have become vastly different uh, from that point. But that was that was my entry into comics. I I always feel like a, a latecomer into the comics game because it wasn't my childhood. It was something that I stumbled into into adulthood. My mind's just blown by the fact that you're, you're implying that. Um, reading comics is a way to get a girlfriend for at least two men on this because that has not been my experience. <laughs> I am married in spite of comics. <laughs> oh. Should I cross the line? I'm not like most girls. I am also a latecomer to comics, Christy, so I feel you. How about you, Chris? I feel like I have kind of two comic origin stories. When I was little, um, or little-er. <laughs> 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 
Yeah, yeah. you're still young. You're, what are what are what are our 30s? <laughs> we're, we're youth. <laughs> anyway, um, the Spider-Man and X-Men animated series on Fox. Oh, yeah. yeah. They were like, they were my faves. Um, I think I liked them the most because unlike other cartoons, you had to watch them in order. Even like Batman, the animated series, for the most part, you did not have that. And I really liked the sort of um, serial nature of those. And you liked that. Oh, I loved it. Oh. Um, so I was living on the East Coast at the time, and my mom would go to flea markets and buy like 24 $2 or $5 comic things. But they were always random issues, and they were always out of order, and I always felt like I would never fully understand anything. Yeah. Um, I had that like a random issue of Wolverine where he's fighting that smiley face bad guy whose name I don't remember. And for some reason, I thought this man was much more important than he ended up being. I haven't yeah, heard of yeah. him since. Uh, but I, I had things like that. But then we, when we moved to Missouri, I immediately wanted to find a place to buy comic books. But the comic book store had the strangest hours of any comic book store I've ever encountered. It was basically like if you want, needed to go after school, you really couldn't. They closed it like four or five mm. on most weekdays, which is wild to me. And they had very strange Saturday hours. So I basically just kind of gave up on comics <laughs> because I just couldn't buy them. Mm-hmm. And um, then I finally started buying monthly issues in 2008 after Iron Man came out. I'm the one person that the MCU got into comics just before it really became the MCU. <laughs> <laughs> I got in just a little bit before that, so about the same time. But yeah, that that's that's kind of me. I don't know. I feel like I I have uh, I, I have like the same the same story everybody has. Christy at least has this interesting one about never having heard of comics. Christy, hey, I read <laughs> Calvin and Hobbes, so I guess well, I can yeah, say well, I, we, Calvin true. and Hobbes like the the, the, the big. I don't know. Do you call them trades? Like, I don't think they came out in issues. But I just... would absolutely call them trades. You're talking about the essential Calvin and Hobbes, one of the best books ever written. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and right behind us on the shelf, we have the complete Calvin and Hobbes. Ooh, in a I'm collection. jealous. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's kind of it. Can I ask you, can I ask you what, if any, is your history with this comic book with Excalibur? Uh, so Excalibur for me is something that I've, dabbled in and read some because as I got into the X-Men Kitty Pride or Kate Pride as she's called now became mm-hmm. one of my favorites. Actually, Chris predicted that she would be my favorite and gave me Astonishing to read and that was my first mm-hmm. X-Men comic and I read it and I was like, "No, Kitty's boring. I like Emma." <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, but have have come to very much enjoy Kate Pride. So, I I know Nightcrawler is wow. is your fave. Anna, but uh, mm-hmm. Kitty would be mine. Fair enough. I want to talk a little bit about the history of your podcast and sort of the genesis of it and your theme and some favorite episodes or anything that you want to talk about it. So let's start with that first question. How and when did you decide to start doing this podcast? So Chris tricked me into it. Did I? <laughs> yes. Did I? I, don't know. I don't remember I it being a trick. The joke, no, so that's what things happen. I feel like you tricked me into this. I didn't know what I was getting into. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the full extent was probably like... I didn't fully understand. Yeah. So initially, I had gotten some interest in Magic the Gathering and the, the Magic the Gathering lore, which is not really particularly comics related. And It's kind of comic booky though. Well, yeah, there is Magic adjacent. the Gathering comic books. That's true. Uh, but I wanted to start doing some voice acting for the audio drama that produced the lore so i start so i got a microphone and nice setup and as i was purchasing all these things chris is like 
wow, well, with all this nice audio equipment that we have now, we should really have a podcast. Well, like, <laughs> we had the microphone. Remember, I, I yep. had gotten it for... You'd gotten the cheaper microphone. I got a nice microphone. That's fair. That's fair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as I bought, you know, she, you were like, well, we, we got to do a podcast now. And I'm like, okay, sure, fine. You know, just tell me what our podcast is going to be about. What's it going to be about? And do you remember what our first podcast was about? <laughs> our very first podcast that we did, we you were like, let's talk about Silver Age comic issues because Mm. they were a lot of fun so we did one test pilot issue where we did superman i can't even remember what it's the the first appearance of the his um fortress of solitude oh yeah Um, a lot of people consider it like the first silver age superman comic now the gimmick that we had was that it was things you could find in those big newsprint collections the the showcase for dc and the right the, right right i forget what they're called for marvel is it essential uh, the essentials, essentials yeah mm-hmm. thank you and we did one episode and it was really fun and then i was like all right so you're gonna edit it right and you're like yeah sure i can do that and, then and I, I never edited no it. you never did and i have no <laughs> idea what happened to that audio. i tried to find the audio it's gone it is Aww. lost to history so i learned how to edit podcasts uh-huh. as as a teacher i was actually at a, a tech ed conference and there was a podcasting workshop shop and i was like well this is a skill that i can use in my classroom and also coincidentally will coincide with my husband's desire to start a podcast because right. <laughs> <laughs> i used to have to do rudimentary editing when i uh, used to narrate for the no sleep podcast mm-hmm. and i hated it i was terrible at it <laughs> and i was like this is great i yeah. love this i you know technical nitpicky stuff i was like i can do this so from that point, you were like, okay, Christy, comics, I have I have a name for the podcast. And it was Chris's on Infinite Earths. And I was like, well, that it's does sound really clever. Ever. And he's like, so I think we have to talk about like crossover events. I think that's the only thing that fits with the name. And the name was just so good that I was like, sure, I've never read a crossover before. I have no idea, you know, what they're like, what they're about. But sure, we can go through all the crossovers ever. How many could there be? You were probably like, I'm sure most of these are at least somewhat decent instead of completely in the garbage all the time. I think I didn't realize how much of them were terrible until Mm -hmm. we like read a bunch of them. So we're, we're getting ready to close up our fifth year of talking about crossover events and i say finish up our fifth year because we're because we are done five years of reading crossover events i think is and talking about (laughs) them (laughs) for any length of time has been quite enough so i'm not sure what we'll get into after that but um i don't know i'm excited to see where it goes but that was that was how chris tricked me into starting a podcast about (laughs) comics that i would eventually uh some of them i love and a lot of them i love (laughs) yeah yeah well can i ask you a question then about your experience doing the podcast together because believe it or not you are not the first husband and wife podcast duo we've had on the pod we also had justin and alicia of the ex-wife pod with us many months ago and they talked with us a little bit about sort of the ways that their relationship sort of had grown and changed over the course of doing the podcast. And I'd love to hear about it because, I mean, it's a creative thing that you're doing with your partner and you're reading these things together and talking about them together. Like, what has that experience been like? I feel like initially we had some time where we kind of had to figure out division of labor and how we were going to schedule things out right. and manage our time mm-hmm. because we've, we've got two young kids. So anytime we, we did not when we started, we had right? one young kid when we, we had one young kid. Yeah. When we started. Yeah. <laughs> Just managing our time and being um, your members of a team as you're going about and doing this. And sometimes you've 
I don't know. I feel like I kind of wanted Chris to just take the lead and tell me what I was supposed to do. And then I was like, oh, no, that we, we, we're we partners in this. We've got to decide who's going to do what, how we're going to manage that time. And well, and you specifically did not want it to be one of those. Oh, the, I was the, adamant the... that I was not going to be the dumb one on the podcast. <laughs> I am maybe, maybe am the dumb one. But when we first started out, oh. I was so... <laughs> I don't. I don't remember you saying being the dumb one. Not the I think dumb you were one, like, I, I do want... not want this to be you explaining crap to yeah. me. Yeah. No, yeah. I did not want that. Gotcha. I. I was like, if I'm going to do this, I am going to sound smart, which was really, really hard starting out because we started with these events that had like 30 characters in them, and. I didn't know anything about them. So I felt like I needed to meticulously research every single character and become an expert on all of them all at once, which was too much to do. And learning to do less was very good. Um, But starting out, yeah, I was adamant that, no, you are not explaining all of these things to me. And now I'm like, yeah, you can probably explain a lot of things to me, but I still have good things to say. <laughs> You're like, I, this, I don't care about this character. I don't want to learn about them. I don't want to know about them. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, they do this. That's all. <laughs> yeah, things like that. I think we've gotten faster and better at it. Yeah. I feel like it used to take us forever and we were like, do we want to do it this week? No, let's not do it this week. And so we had such a weird, irregular schedule, but now we're like good at scheduling. Like we're quicker at it. So like the division of labor goes quicker. Usually when one of us is working on something, it doesn't like grind everything to a halt. We've kind of figured out that. Right. And I I feel like that extends to other parts of our relationship as well. Just the fact of having like a, a shared calendar and just being able to, I mean, I, I hate feeling like we have to like manage and plan out all of our free time at home, but we, we, we kind of do that. Like when we get to a night where we don't actually have anything scheduled out that any of us has to do, nobody has to write. We don't have to record. Nobody's editing. It's like, Oh, we have this time and we, we didn't schedule or plan anything for it. And and that that's rare. (laughs) Like the, the podcast begat a a rotating weekly checklist of things we need to do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like everything's on the checklist. When we when when is trash getting taken out? Who's making coffee? Who's picking up kids? Our time is precious and we (laughs) we schedule it out and we we're an efficient machine over here. It's good. It's a good amount of communication. This sounds like a pitch for a book that's like podcast your way to maximum organization <laughs> or something. Oh, I thought you meant like as a relationship, you know, podcasting for a better marriage, but not like <laughs> you don't want to do a, like there are a lot of podcasts about like how to have a good marriage. You don't want to do that. You just want to talk about like how to make your marriage work because, you know, you've someone's got to like draw icons. <laughs> if if you can successfully have a podcast with your spouse, if if you can make that work with your spouse, I feel like you and your spouse are in a pretty good spot. Yeah. Yeah. I would have to agree. Um all right, I want to get into your thoughts about this particular issue. So let's get through this really zany issue summary that I got to read here. I know we've got lots of lovely listeners reading along with the pod. We definitely pick up the phone if you called us about a dinosaur invasion any day. But as always, let's start today's de-evolution with a plot summary. Oh boy, this is quite a summary. Excalibur number 51 opens in the Who base of the Tower of London, where Brigadier Stewart is showing Excalibur a recording of a family and a beefeater guard who disappeared some months back. For us readers, this happened back in Excalibur number 9, quite a while ago. As the lights go up, we realize this isn't 616 Excalibur. This is the Excalibur from Dino World, otherwise known as Earth 99476. Dino Excalibur R. Here we go. (sighs) Shadow Comp Psygnothus? 
I butchered that. Britannicus Rex, Megon, <laughs> Alisand, and Alisor Stewart, and Knight Strutter, which honestly, Kurt should just kind of change his name to that. He's got my approval. Alisor tells Excalibur that the humans have been kidnapped and taken to the Savage Land by the high evolutionary Dr. Carl Lycos, and the Who expert on the Savage Land is assigned to help them on their mission. Meanwhile, back in the 616, the dino version of the family and the guard that disappeared are hiding out at Brighton Pier, where they seem to have fallen ill with some kind of sickness caused by the pollution of our world. Suddenly, the father's body begins to change, growing larger, his teeth becoming fiercer. Back on Dino World, Excalibur's ship approaches the Savage Land. On their planet, the Savage Land is a dark, polluted city. They are attacked by human, quote-unquote, savages, who are scared off by Dino Kazar and his adorable kitty Zabu. Dino Excalibur proceed to the High Evolutionary's Tower, where they fight a brainwashed Fantastic Five consisting of Arachosaur, <laughs> Invisiguanodon, Soar Fantastic, Dino Torch, and the thing. They kind of ran out of steam with those names there. After defeating the five, Excalibur encounters the High Evolutionary who intends to stabilize the humans of the world with the DNA of those from Earth 616, but Dr. Lycos shouts him down, then shuts him down, pulling wires out of his machine until it explodes. As the smoke clears, Excalibur finds Lycos dead and the High Evolutionary gone. His humans, meanwhile, have returned to the rodent-like forms he evolved them from. Soar Fantastic, now free of the High Evolutionary's mind control, says he can use the latter's equipment to build a portal to Earth 616 in order to send the remaining humans home. Elsewhere on Earth 616, the dino tourists have mutated or de-evolved, it's confusing, into enormous non-sentient dinosaurs, i.e. regular dinosaurs, and are roaming around Brighton, though they're not attacking anyone, just raiding places for food. Di Thomas keeps trying to call Excalibur, but Excalibur, exhausted after the fight with Necrom, keep letting it go to voicemail. The dinos aren't the only displaced travelers at the pier. Gatecrasher is there too, drinking away her sorrows and swearing revenge on Excalibur for the death of poor hard-boiled Henry. Eventually, dino Excalibur stepped through the portal into the six and take care of the mutated dinos, taking them back to their world to cure them and exchanging them for their human doppelgangers. Finally, at Braddock Manor, the regular human-slash-fairy-slash-mutant Excalibur have finally woken up and see the dinosaurs on the news. At first, they think it's a hoax, but are set straight after listening to Di Thomas's many messages. But the last message on the machine isn't from Di. It's from Jean Grey, telling them Professor X is on the way to try and help Rachel. And we'll pick up that plot thread in the next issue. So, a lot of goofiness and a little substance this week. We've got a little bit of social critique here as well. I'm sure we'll talk about that. But let's start with some first impressions, starting, as always, with our honored guests. Chris, Christy, what were your first impressions about this zany, dinosaur-filled issue? It definitely seems to have all the trappings of a just the kind of a kind of a fill-in issue. Some elements of the the crossoverness that we typically cover on Chris's, you know, weird other universes. It was, so <laughs> yeah. it was fun. It was fun. Uh, I <laughs> did find it interesting that the dinosaur planet was exceptionally healthy and really had a had a lock on the climate crisis. Like their climate was great. I I thought that was kind <laughs> of a, a neat touch environmental statements there huh. <laughs> chris, chris like, just for context chris has been warning me for like two weeks that he's gonna get weird about dinosaurs on this podcast so i don't know what to expect from this so but... i don't i don't talk about it much on our podcast at all but i'm a, i am a biologist i don't deal with dinosaurs i deal with the uh, like molecular biology but i'm kind of a dinosaur enthusiast um <laughs> you know more about dinosaurs than anybody else i know so that's that's maybe true um i know a lot about birds too like a decent amount which uh birds birds are dinosaurs so yeah. it's whatever you're the son of an ornithologist <laughs> a son of an ornithologist who studied birds oh um, wow okay yeah. 
that we uh, I we joke that it's like biologist son of biologists. But anyway, the the dinosaur of this is is a little silly. I, I found this issue kind of like totally fine. It was like a very like whelming oh, issue. Okay. It 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 proceeded from page one to page twenty two or twenty four or whatever. It mostly made sense. I did have some questions about the different. <laughs> species we seemed to have within families of dinosaurs i so one thing i love about uh so th- this is this is like the case uh, at some point and i think you were probably going to bring up the uh hit 90s television show dinosaurs <laughs> yeah probably right you're welcome to discuss it if you would like uh first I of all nothing more wild that that that, that like, existed <laughs> ran yeah. for several seasons also ended with a weird climate change sort of metaphor has like one of the darkest Be- endings of any show ever. Best finale yeah. in the history of television. Yeah. <laughs> Best series finale in the history of television. Oh Love man, it. it's literally just like the ice age is coming. That really that stinks. All right. And, <laughs> and it's they, because, it literally and ends it's because like of the hubris body. of man. That's right. <laughs> yeah, wow. It is always interesting how when there are dinosaur version of human worlds or like humanoid dinosaurs, it's never just like all humanoid Tyrannosaurus Rexes. They always have to go real diverse. So they, they always pick like mm. random other dinosaurs, which is always interesting to me because obviously like there is one human species left on the planet. Right. On our on our planet on Earth 616. There is one. There used to be more. There is not anymore. There's simply one. However, in these dinosaur worlds, like every every dinosaur species has survived. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Including ones that, that di- didn't cohabitate. Yeah. Yeah. Things like that. <laughs> like and obviously I could I could nitpick about the about like the that all day but it is it, it's always something that kind of sticks with me about how like dinosaurs are always always get many whereas we always just get just get humans and these dinosaurs were pink they, they were very flesh colored like yes. white flesh colored yeah they were very they're very pink uh, it no, was, i found the aspect of them a bit disturbing somehow oh it was it was so uncomfortable <laughs> it was so uh, like carl lycos as a as a ter- pterodactyl Mm-hmm. Which he looked weirder as as like the pink peachy one than he does as the green one in the jean shorts. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to agree with the with the little glasses. I also to get pedantic for a second, pterodactyls aren't dinosaurs, but whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, they, they were all they were all very peach. <laughs> very peach. Yeah, they are. I don't know why that's so creepy. Like, I get it's supposed to give them a humanoidness, but it makes oh. it worse. It makes it worse. <laughs> it. It does. I don't know what, like, I just never know when, when people are making humanoid dinosaurs for these stories, I always, the, the choices are always so fascinating to me. Were there any particular choices that you found especially fascinating in this one, Chris? A lot of them looked really lizardy, mm-hmm. which you'd think would make sense, but dinosaurs are generally more birdy than lizardy. Mm. Birds are dinosaurs. They're, they're just like the ones that lived. They're the, they're the only ones that survived. They're just little and feathery but they are dinosaurs they're not descended from dinosaurs literally we live with dinosaurs if you eat dino nuggets it's <laughs> that that's that's redundant but um a lot of them looked really lizardy um and it it, it kind of it made sense to me because i feel like in the 80s that was probably more of the thought of dinosaurs and that, i wouldn't say that that by then the paleontologists weren't thinking about them as more bird-like but i i feel like that image of like the slow lumbering lizard that like walks very upright and drags its tail was still kind of kind of in vogue. Um, and this this I feel like pulls a lot from that. So to me, they, they kind of look dated and, and more so than I would say, like, like Doug Braithwaite art would look dated. It's just that like the modeling looks dated to me. 
This is from 1992, so dinosaurs have been on the air for, you know, a year and a bit, and we wouldn't be getting Jurassic Park for another year and a bit. So this is right in between those two important dinosaur moments. Mm -hmm. The book was the book was out. Yeah, Jurassic, list. yeah and the yeah the Jurassic Park book was yeah. super popular at the time. Um, I mean, it's like I remember it being like, oh my god, they they need to make a movie of this, and yeah. oh, they're making yeah. a movie of this. Yeah. It was, it was <laughs> it didn't take yeah, long. <laughs> yeah, it was. The, dinosaurs were in the zeitgeist. It is. Yeah. I think that's fair. Well, let's do some first impressions from you, Andrew and Mav, and then get into some specifics. Um, uh, Andrew, I haven't heard from you on this podcast yet, so take it away if you've got first impressions. For me, this issue is interesting structurally in that, like, like um, as Chris mentioned, it doesn't really do that much. I, I think that's actually what it's supposed to do, right? Because it's a palate yeah. cleanser issue. Yeah. We, we've had this massive ramp up to Davis's first big Excalibur event, um, and, and he needs to give the team a little bit of space and time to breathe in order to sort of reorient things, steer us towards the next forthcoming kind of arc so he can do basically anything in this issue and he does something so i guess (laughs) mission accomplished yeah well i mean i don't know how much it is that the team needs to rest so much as that alan davis needs to rest but um it could be a little both but uh how about you mav how are you feeling about it um zabu baby zabu is the most adorable thing until until, like like this side of baby yoda i love baby zabu and want one um that's what i liked about this book (laughs) there are um there are a few things where i'm like oh that's a that's an interesting choice i found civilized kazar to be an interesting um choice but for the most part i i don't care for this this is um (laughs) it's like oh this is i don't know as much about dinosaurs as chris but i know enough to know that there are things that bothered me in this story in a way that the dinosaurs tv show doesn't because i think the dinosaurs tv show is delightful (laughs) and amazing um and again, the best finale in the history of television, and I don't mean that ironically, there's no joke. The finale of Dinosaurs is amazing. It's up there. Um, that, St. Elsewhere, which is something else everybody everybody hates and I love. This is Does St. Elsewhere have the snow globe ending? Yeah. It is, and it's yeah. brilliant, and, uh, and I will die on that hill. Um, but, <laughs> but this is just like, it feels like drugs were involved. Like one would hope, <laughs> and, and I don't, I don't know. I just don't know. This, this does not sing to me, and I, and I'm just like, I don't hate it. I just like, I just felt like, did anybody double think so many of these choices? Like, uh, like the social, the social message is lost here because there's so many weird. Really, is that what we're doing? But again, baby Zabu, best thing in the issue. <laughs> so, so that's what that, that's my first impression. <laughs> I mean, I guess I found myself thinking a lot about we were so intense in our last episode and I just remember really rhapsodizing about super sex and getting so into it and being like, this is everything I want from Excalibur. This is the climax of Excalibur's story of them all merging bodies and stepping into each other. And then like we're coming to this issue and I'm like, this is fine. It reminds me of some of the fill-ins we had earlier in Excalibur. But boy, if I was reading it at the time and went from number 50 to number 51, I don't know how I would have felt about that. (laughs) We often talk, we've talked about this and it's not really true but we've joked and sort of acknowledged a lot of davis becoming a writer is you know how am i going to emulate claremont and how am i going to step away from him and this is one of the bad claremont decisions i i like claremont a lot and andrew you're his biggest fan in the world but you but you acknowledge that there are filling issues that claremont does that are very much uh phoning it in this feels phoned in in that way to me 
Really? I think it felt Claremontian. I felt like it felt no, no, very... No, no, no. I, I, I think it felt... felt I, think, I think it felt like one of the times when Claremont... There, there are moments where Claremont goes, oh, I'm too far behind. Why don't I just toss something out there and I will make it up next month? And it felt like that to me. That's fair. I mean, it is, you know, again, yeah. it feels like a filling issue, right? And I mean... This is not life death a love story is what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or like Kitty's fairy tale. Like, yeah, that's no, what I was Claremont did some good fill Right. Yeah, Claremont yeah. has some good fill-in issues and then Claremont has some of the early fill-in issues in Excalibur. Warhawk and... Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's, that's my point. <laughs> Maybe Davis should have just had them play baseball. That would have been better. <laughs> Well, I mean, there is like a sense of it's a bit frustrating not to see how the team is coping after that big, dramatic, traumatic thing that happened. I mean, we're going to see a little bit more of that in the following issue, but not really. But still, the glimpses of it that we have here are interesting. And I want to get to that at the end because it is sort of the end of the issue. But let's get a bit more into dinosaurs. And I want to ask you, Edelman's, a really basic, but, you know, one of those basic but deceptively complicated questions, which is like, why dinosaurs? Why do we always go to the well of dinosaurs? Why do we want to see? humanoid dinosaurs why do we want to engage with what dinosaurs mean to us as a species like why is this an interesting thing for us to keep revisiting so my thought on dinosaurs is it's like unicorns but they were really real and yeah <laughs> uh, just kind of fantastic thing to think about and romanticize and you can they can be a palette for lots of lots of different things and they're i think part of what's appealing about dinosaurs is how much we can discover and know and categorize and classify. And it's just kind of that technical nature of it that gives us this really big palette to pull from and create from and allows people to take something that just to fantasize about what could have been, you know, yeah. we, this, this mass extinction event to think about an entire world that existed before us kind of put some perspective on us and our permanence too maybe that's getting a little bit too deep into dinosaurs but you know if if dinosaurs can just be wiped off the face of the planet like that you know yeah for sure i think the concept of dinosaurs introduces a lot of existential crisis you know like uh, they were around a lot longer than us and they can just be gone mm. in an instant you know instant not an instant <laughs> but come on <laughs> something that can happen in an instant could you know yeah yeah you know that that fateful day in june or whatever yeah, we know. We know it was we June. We know it was June. That's what that's I, I love. I love Chris talking about how we know it was June. Oh, you mean the, the mass <laughs> yes. extinction event? Yes. Oh, because um, there was strata found in Wyoming of like the of like the soot mm-hmm. from from the the end Cretaceous extinction, and they there was fossilized orchids, and they were in bloom, mm-hmm. and they found out the modern ancestor of those orchids or or whatever kind of of, of watery plant when it bloomed. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, okay. So the, the Cretaceous asteroid hit in June. Yeah. Wild. Huh. Those little tidbits like that. It, it, but, that's yeah. stuff that people love to learn and know and categorize. And I don't, I don't know. There, there's something appealing about that. Maybe it's just because they're like big and like dynamic. You know, like it's interesting to me that dinosaurs have caught on. I'd say popular in like human imagination more so than say like the megafauna of the Eocene in Pleistocene periods, like the large mammals. They, they for some reason like gigantic sloths are, are will apparently never be as cool as a Tyrannosaurus <laughs> Rex. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I do kind of find that interesting. I wonder, is it is it just like the sheer mass of fossils that we have of them? Because di- dinosaurs lived for like insanely long amount of time. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just one of the things that random fact about dinosaurs that I know that like that like people get wrong because every time you do a Jurassic Park kind of thing, popular dinosaurs are going to be your your Tyrannosaurus Rex and then your your um, your Brontosaurus, which never met and in fact tyrannosaurus rexes live closer to us than they do to the <laughs> to the brontosaurus it's, <laughs> it's like there's like a hundred million years between them it's insane but you know we like them i think because they're monsters like it's like you know look it's a godzilla is what i think mm-hmm. what it comes down to but like yeah. that's 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 real right they're gigantic a lot of them had big scary teeth we eat their little mutated cousins now <laughs> their little post-apocalypse well, I I, I want to come back to I want to come back to Andrew, but I will say that I mean I grew up on a farm with chickens, and I never had a hard time believing that dinosaurs and chickens are the same because <laughs> there's this point where they change from chicks into pullets, which is sort of like a teenage chicken, and they stop going for the grain and they start looking at your hand as food, and you see it in their eyes, and uh, I have experienced that, and 100% believe that those are tiny dinosaurs dinosaurs but um andrew you were gonna add something a moment ago yeah there's there's a cool sort of literary connection too to um um, cosmic horror so um, the cthulhu mythos created by hp lovecraft lovecraft was basing that very directly on the discovery of dinosaurs Mm -hmm. the idea of these elder beings that are gigantic and intimidating and then therefore cause this as we said existential crisis we made an entire horror genre out of that, which is kind of cool. Because Iguanodon was like discovered like in his lifetime, if I or, or just before, if I recall, and that was like the first the first fossil of dinosaurs discovered, and they got it completely wrong. But yeah, I'm trying to imagine like living in that time and being like like just not even yeah. thinking, right. Like, what would that do to you? I'm still stuck on you talking about. I hadn't thought about it before, but thinking about chickens just being post-apocalyptic dinosaurs and imagining <laughs> post-apocalyptic humans who will be farming us like <laughs> we will be farmed we'll be, we'd be like miniature farmed humans well the high evolutionary <laughs> i presume <laughs> that's right I think you'd have to think of mammals as a whole, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Although mammals have been around. They, they and dinosaurs were contemporary for a very long time. That's true. I think people tend to think of mammals as like the successor to dinosaurs. And it, 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 that just kind of happened by chance. But mammals and dinosaurs existed for a very large amount of time. It's just mammals couldn't flourish because dinosaurs were just so well suited. Don't rain on my tiny human farm parade. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, would it would it comfort you if I tell you that is absolutely going to happen? <laughs> yes and no. I like the affirmation yeah. of my idea. I don't like my idea. <laughs> that's, that's fair. I mean, I was thinking about the ways that there are also an existential crisis in terms of the difference that we perceive between, you know, a lizard or a bird and like a human, right? And, you know, because some transformations into other creatures are usually presented as more threatening than others. And I mean, the ultimate one is usually insect, you know, like a human changing into an insect is supposed to be the the scariest one because we perceive an insect as the most different from us. And so like the dinosaur transformation is a little bit like that in that it's very 
destabilizing as a transformation. It's so different from us and what dinosaurs represent as sort of something so different from the civilization that we know that we can't even almost imagine it, right? We can't even imagine these huge, you know, time frames in which these creatures existed. We can't even imagine the scale of these creatures, right? I mean, you think about the way museums are and the way diagrams of dinosaurs are, and it's always like this human figure to compare the size of the dinosaur trying to conceptualize these things, right? So I think something about sort of the destabilizing nature of that might be part of it too, that, you know, it's so fun and funny to see dinosaur humans dressed in superhero costumes doing the stuff that we expect human superheroes to do and there's just sort of an inherent destabilization and comedy to that that is almost like it's like trying to explain a joke and you can't really explain a joke because it's like it ruins the joke but we just immediately recognize that as a humorous concept in some way how much do we think humanoid dinosaurs is 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 like a (laughs) Humans tend to tend to like to think that we rule the earth, correct? I almost like wonder how much of that is feeling like a successor to the dinosaurs which did rule the earth. And so the, what, why it's dinosaurs is, is that is like the ultimate what if. You know, we, we never think about like, what if anaerobic bacteria <laughs> still ruled the earth? It's always just like the last thing that we consider to have ruled the earth. There's a, a cool intersection there, too, in the sense that these are both juvenile power fantasies, right? True. Superheroes and dinosaurs. We've all pretended to be a dinosaur and we've all pretended to be a superhero. And it was usually when we were very young. Yeah, not like last week or anything. No. (laughs) No, no, Hey, hey, we have young children. We have excuses. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best reason to have kids. Part of it is the kid thing, though, right? Like there are. I don't think it's just that that they're the last thing. I think that giant lizards. It's inherently cool. It's cool in a way like superheroes are cool. It's cool because it is a very easy creature to sort of conceptualize. Like every three-year-old loves the idea of dinosaurs once they find out, oh my God, there are dinosaurs. Let's go look at them. Like, Like it's the one thing that you can get a small child to look at at a museum because, oh my gosh, it's so cool. And I, I do think that a lot of that has to do with just sort of the presumed majesty of it, the destructive force of it. And it's really hard to sort of, you know, there's lots of stuff that's destructive, right? But if you're three, your your juvenile brain has a hard time, you know, conceptualizing the utter power of climate change, you know, or, or, or whatever, right? Right, like <laughs> dinosaurs, oh my God, stompy, stompy, stompy bitey 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 and that's cool in a way so i i think that there's um just something primal about it and we we keep a little part of that for ourselves you know once we hit adulthood and that's why jurassic park movies live well that like idea that we have though too that i think is rooted in kidness rooted in childhood that dinosaurs could be our friends too it's like it's this monster that i don't know <laughs> like because we have that idea of it too you know i always thought of dinosaurs when i was a kid like oh it's gonna be my friend and i'm gonna ride on it and like i remember going to prehistoric world which is this awesome place um outside of prescott ontario uh which is near where my ex-partner grew up so i got to go there a bunch of times while we were together and uh, yeah even as an adult i I went back there and so it's one of those places that has like big models of dinosaurs it's amazing 100 recommended if you live in ontario you got to go to prehistoric world and you know i just walk up to them and i'm just like (gasps) just delighted and just like petting them like they're alive animals (laughs) you know and It just has, like you're saying, just that primal effect on you and it affects you in different ways. But I just, it almost seems magical because it's a creature that, I mean, like Christy was saying, it's like a unicorn that's real. It's like a fantastical, monstrous thing that actually existed. And there's just something so wonderful about that. And 
yeah, I don't know. I love dinosaurs, but um, <laughs> let's They're talk great. about They're They're great. Great. <laughs> let's talk about some of the environmentalism stuff. Let's talk about some stuff in this comic. Let's talk about this like allegory thing that we got going on here. Whether these dinosaurs are doing anything interesting for us in that context. So I'll come to you with it, Edelman's. What did you make of this little environmentalism metaphor? Was this doing anything positive for you? I did not expect it or see it coming and the (laughs) de-evolution that occurred because there's so much pollution to me just (laughs) it didn't I was like oh okay I know this is a comic book but like I'm I'm not buying it like I can't that that verisimilitude that that was like what killed it for you Mm -hmm. right I liked the dichotomy of the two different worlds having such a different approach I guess or that that juxtaposition of of climates but pollution causing de-evolution like that caused humanoid dinosaurs to become gigantic dinosaurs I like normal pollution this wasn't like magic pollution yeah yeah that for me was I I don't even know that I would call it like heavy-handed because it wasn't overly moralizing it just wasn't a believable enough out come for me even in comic Mm. books where all sorts of wild things happen all the time the the savage land of the of the dinosaur world just being like a metropolis that was kind of wild right (laughs) who built it these these humans don't seem like they're (laughs) you know i i I was trying to like i feel like this was an issue that did not want you to think too hard about it no and and yet it raises so many questions that's the problem yeah Yeah. Yeah. it's trying to be it's trying to be super deeply philosophical but like any amount of scrutiny stuff just starts falling apart and that's what's weird about it like i like i don't mind you being deeply philosophical the the dinosaurs tv show there is so much going on and I'm, is it perfect? No, but there's so much going on. And We're not doing a podcast about it. the dinosaurs <laughs> TV show. <laughs> it's not just that one, anything though. But I mean like any, anything like that, like when, if you're going to be absurd and you're going to fine, I'll, I'll pick one of my other favorites, Riverdale, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like when, if you're going to do something absurd in order to do political commentary, cultural commentary, in order to do allegorical commentary on anything and you're going to go into the absurd you have to pay attention to the point that your narrative doesn't fall apart if i say but what if because the entire yeah. point of the story is to make me go well what if and then if i'm if i'm going well what if now i have to start wondering like everything about the savage humans which the, the evolutionary created i guess out of rats and then they built this city like everything about it just makes no sense except that they want to have this commentary the fact that people are constantly going you know in our society which is a utopia no one talks like that there are good things that, i mean not that not, not that our society is great like in on earth but you know i don't just randomly compare earth life to the way it could be worse if i were on an alternate earth that's not a thing people do and so so oh, it's, it's not <laughs> It's odd. It's just everything about this is odd to me. And I was just like, why? Well, it got me thinking a lot about sort of the convention of bizarro worlds in superhero comics and how you're either going to love that or you're going to hate that. And there's so many levels of loving and hating that because the thing that's always bothered me about the concept of sort of bizarro and you know bizarro world and superman comics is that it's like opposite day but not quite opposite day 
<laughs> so yeah, like i'm like what are the rules of it being opposites <laughs> because it's not quite and it just means whatever you want it to mean and on the one hand that's wonderful it means it can be whatever the heck you want it to be and there are no rules and how freeing is that on the other hand when you're reading it you can be kind of like ah some of these jokes don't land properly because it's not respecting sort of the rules of the fantasy world that it's set out and that can actually be a problem when you're kind of doing that opposite land contrast thing because something like in this comic like again the city did bother me i was like that aspect of it it worked for the little joke that they were trying to do or the commentary or whatever we want to call it and yet the mechanics of that take you out of the story so you're like ooh. Yeah. yeah just the way it was executed i often felt like it was pausing for applause you know what I mean? like it was, <laughs> yeah. it was I mean, heavy-handed, I guess, would be the easiest way to describe it. It also really pointed out how alternate universes in comics often tend to be very one-note. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, it, it made me think about how there are tons of them like this. Um, but this one, literally just every... Like, the, the, the characters themselves were extraordinarily flat. Their dialogue between Excalibur, Dinosaur Excalibur, I feel like the balloons could have pointed anywhere, and I wouldn't have really noticed. <laughs> <laughs> because they were they were literally all just in service of this pollution bad thing pollution bad don't think more about it it was like what the, the what the moralizing of this comic was trying to do whereas it was also trying to do a silly thing but it all it did it did seem like the silly was trying to be its own thing and the moralizing was also trying to be its own thing the disconnect was so strange to me yeah i mean at its best excalibur can be very genre bending in ways that are productive and then it's come up many times on the pod that we have had these certain issues where it's been jarring and i don't think we've kind of come up with the perfect alchemy of like why is it sometimes jarring why is it sometimes not jarring other than i think even when it's jarring when it's alan davis drawing it we tend to be charmed by it regardless so i don't know if that's like what kind of goes on with you know us judging it as charming or not charming but um i don't know yeah i know you i know i know but i mean we could talk about you know the way that we perhaps see some of the weaknesses in his writing when he's not drawing the issue that could be certainly a thing that we have going on here as well so can i point a, a weird choice that they made we've been talking about things like the fact that Absolutely. they're human but it's not bizarre world bizarre world like uh, you, you you said it perfectly it's opposite except for not quite bizarre worlds like instead of 180 degrees out of phase it's like 150 you know there's like a few things where it's like oh it's not exactly the opposite it's kind of quirky in some ways right mm -hmm. um so you have this world where in order to create this convention the high evolutionary he has this dream of turning everybody into mammals because that will save humanity except that their humanity seems to be doing or i mean that their their dinosaur manity whatever is uh, is going great like it's a utopia so what is the evolutionary saving them from Except that the evolutionary is just kind of a crazy madman, at least on ours. So we're supposed to just carry it over there. This would work if it were like our evolutionary. We're always trying to turn people into dinosaurs, but he's not. He's always just trying to evolve people to their final forms, which is what this one's doing. But he thinks the final forms are humans, I guess, which he knows about for some reason. And then like if you're going to do that, that's not the evolutionary. That's Sauron, except that Sauron's the good guy in this story. Well, but yeah, that's like a thing, though, that happens a lot, because you see that a lot in like something like Exiles, where you will have that thing where it's exactly like you said about Bizarro World, right? Like some people reversed and some people aren't. And that sometimes bothers me because they'll just be like, well, it's an AU, it can be whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I know. But like when you do an AU, in theory, all the constituent parts of that AU should comment 
on, you know, the 616 world, because that's kind of the point of doppelgangers, right? And if it's not doing that, you're sort of like, what are we actually doing here? Like the Carl Lykos character in this comic, I guess it's just sort of a one note joke as he's not evil. He's reversed because he's not evil. He's just like a good guy who actually like sacrifices his life to save people. For the listeners who don't know, Carl Lykos, um, who's, it's not mentioned in this book, but Carl Lykos is Sauron in the 616 area. Which, but it's not brought up. Nothing's done with it. Like, you have to know that, I guess. But if I know that Carl Lycos is Sauron and therefore get the joke, then I'm sitting here going, well, but if we have Sauron, why isn't he the bad guy instead of the evolutionary? Because <laughs> that would make way more sense. And then my head hurts. And then I'm like, why am I putting this much thought? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say. Feeling issue of this comic. Yeah. <laughs> Sauron really should have turned into like a green human in that would have been funny. (laughs) Yeah, that would have made a lot of sense. Sure. Well, maybe let's talk about some moments from the comic, because like, I think that there are some fun moments here. And I was curious if we had favorite ones, because Mm -hmm. (laughs) I do think that there are some effective moments of comedy. And maybe we can talk about some of them and and recoup our mileage on this issue a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's some great things. I'll come to you first, uh, Chris and Christy, to see if you if you guys had anything you wanted to spotlight. Any any moments that stood out to you that you want to make sure we talk about? My favorite moment was the initial dinosaur reveal. The it was whole, good. They're, they're, yeah. they're brought in. We yeah. see the video of the humans. We don't know quite what's going on until we get that full shot of Excalibur. And oh, they're dinosaurs. For me, that was the most effective moment of the entire comic. Well like, done. In the, floppy, real... it's, in the floppy, it's set up too, so that's revealed on the page flip, which is always a nice touch. For me, it was the the other change of this universe, which is there is a bit in early Marvel comics where Spider-Man auditions to be a member of the yes. Fantastic Four and gets rejected. But in this universe, it seems like he instead got to join them. Mm-hmm. So that is the that is the other change. So I kind of liked the Fantastic Five, especially the Thing, yeah. who is just a big furball. Yes. Um, <laughs> which like is interesting because normally he's rocks, not scales. So like obviously it's not perfect, but I was like, I'm I'm in because he. It was almost like who's in the Adams family? Who's the fur the furry one? Is that cousin? Oh, cousin, cousin, it? cousin it. Yeah. yeah. I was and Thing is the hand. My bad. So it doesn't even make sense. Mm-hmm. I always confuse <laughs> it and Thing on Adams family. Oh. That- but any, I just love that he was just really big and furry. I thought I thought that was wonderful. Did I like you want to talk idea. about his his big moment of like uh, slipping away from the dinosaur and his little like comedy bit there. Some of the dialogue that he has there, you know, he's always losing his grip. All this hair stuff is greasy. It ain't easy being a hideously deformed mutation, especially one with super slick sebaceous secretions. Ooh, that was a lot of information. I like that he has to adjust to being like sweaty. That's kind of fun. (laughs) So Um, much detail, more detail than I probably needed, but I appreciated the effort. Like a ton. It was this whole panel of this. I like that he has red eyes. He just, he looks like a Sasquatch. It's great. (laughs) I think it says a lot about the comic that one of your favorite parts of an Excalibur comic was the fantastic five (laughs) i I just thought that so in 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 this world where basically everything was supposed to be sort of like a a dinosaur shaped mirror Uh i thought that it was interesting that there was like one extra little difference right right that made it to me seems like i already complained about this being a one note universe Mm -hmm. that was like the slight difference where i was like okay i kind of i kind of dig this because it showed thought was put into it yeah like like a modicum of thought like just like well i think a lot you think a lot okay 
Well, for that, like someone, someone, I mean, we know who Alan Davis sat down <laughs> and thought of this and thought and realized, wait a minute, if I'm going to do this joke, then the thing can't be, he can't be Rocky. What if he's mammalian for no apparent reason? And, oh, he'd have to deal with things like hair and sweat. Well, that's fascinating. I guess. <laughs> I mean, it, it is like thought was put into that and then not in so many other things. And that's what's sort of confusing about it. See, we we could have taken that thought into like, you know, how the thing would be different. Cut the Fantastic Five entirely and applied that to like Kurt. Kurt is the same color as everybody else. He doesn't look like exceptionally different or in any way like we would expect him to look like in oh yeah he's not blue yeah Yeah, he's he's the same color as everybody else i guess his tail is kind of pointed but everybody's tail is pointed he's not really other in any sort of noticeable way i thought about that too and i was like i have no idea what choice i would have made to make that effective but it was definitely something i thought about as well i think i think they should have done blue with hair to be honest or done something with the story, like make it make it obvious that like in Dinosaur Land, Kurt is more accepted. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm checking now. Does he have um, because all the other dinosaurs have fewer fingers. Um, they have three fingers and a thumb. How many? I'm checking. I'm checking to see if I can find. He only nope, Kurt has. Does, Kurt does have one fewer finger. One fewer. Yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. So he so he does have two fingers and a thumb, just like, you know, 616 Kurt. But it is he is far less other than or maybe maybe he's not maybe it's just that you know maybe it's it's us being racist and thinking all dinosaurs look alike i don't know Um, (laughs) maybe maybe he just smells really different we don't know (laughs) so many questions oh instead of sulfur what 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 smell do we get Uh, oh he maybe he smells delightful in this world that would be nice for him well to us but then probably horrible to them right that's true right like roses Andrew, any any good moments that you want to spotlight? Yeah, I'm not proud of this one because I oh, laughed wow, at okay. it. But there's reasons you shouldn't laugh at it. But it was such a, a married with children line, which was like perfect for this era. Um, Alistair Stewart, the dinosaur, says, I've never eaten anything with an IQ in double figures. And the kid <laughs> comes back and says, Dad, he knows you're a shoe salesman. <laughs> and that made me laugh quite a bit. Oh, my God. Wow. Proud of that. I am very disappointed that you didn't refer to him by his proper name, which is Allosaur. <laughs> yes, that's true. I should have. <laughs> oh, and um, we've got a, a sexy pajama breakfast kitchen scene. And Kylan and Sarah East don't have sexy PJs yet, which is how you know that they're so still probationary. Sad. <laughs> you were assigned them later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Earn those. You, have to, you have to earn those pajamas. <laughs> like in their costumes and it's so sad i mean i'm also sad that brian has acquired like a house coat which is like something he has never previously owned in the previous 50 issues of excalibur never but that's the thing they're guests you can't just walk around you know if if it's Mm. just members of the family you can walk around without a shirt on but you know you wear you wear more clothes Okay, I'll bring it back to like a couple of character building things uh, having to do with the 616 Excalibur team. I mean, first is like seeing Kurt increasingly having 
a little bit of a crisis of faith. It is like one of the only times I think in all of Excalibur we are going to see him with a Bible, so it stands out. Seeing seeing him kind of deal with kind of the consequences of leadership is like going to be a through line. So I'm just touching base with that. And then the little exchange that he has with Brian when they're in the kitchen, and like Kurt's really upset about Baron, and he's like kind of losing his cool a little bit, which isn't typical for Kurt. And then Brian's like, "Don't worry, Kurt. I'll make you an omelet." And like. What the hell was that? <laughs> Brian makes omelets now for Kurt. food, though. It's that's true. No, I I love it. I just could <laughs> not have imagined these two having this relationship previously. <laughs> but I don't think it's like I don't think it's not on purpose. Like I think it is on purpose. I think he's showing sort of a shifting of responsibilities and personalities within the team. You know, Kurt is acting more like Brian because he's assumed the mantle of leadership, and Brian's acting a little bit more like Kurt because that burden is kind of lifted from him a little bit. And we're going to see that kind of continuing mm. in future issues. I also wanted to just point out on the topic of sexy pajamas how much. It stands out that these characters are wearing things that they might wear in an Alan Davis drawn comic, and they are so much less tight and so much less short than Alan Davis would ever draw them being. <laughs> not like Kurt. this, Kurt's got the shorts. He's got the shorts. They are not the way Alan Davis draws those shorts on Kurt. <laughs> when Alan Davis draws those shorts on Kurt, there is package and there is like okay, yeah, ass crease on those shorts. <laughs> and when Brian wears those sweatpants, we've talked about the sweatpants lots on this podcast before. And we've talked lots about Alan Davis's particular skill with male packages. And that is always a feature of Brian and the sweatpants. When Braithwaite draws it, they're slacks. They're not the way Alan Davis draws them. And I just like, I mean, it's funny, but like, I also think it's interesting because I mean in terms of we talk about sex so much on this podcast but in terms of thinking about the sexualized atmosphere that Davis consciously cultivates through the way he depicts bodies through the way he chooses to clothe people it's interesting to see somebody else draw this breakfast scene and see how different kind of the characters appear even though technically they're wearing the same type of thing but it just comes across so differently to me yeah I don't know let's move to some final thoughts which that kind of was final thoughts but I'll give everybody one more chance if there was anything that you definitely desperately wanted to touch on that we didn't get a chance to touch on and i'll come to you again andrew anything that you're desperate to talk about that we didn't get a chance i think we'll get to talk about it a little bit later on but but in our coverage but i i don't love the way that excalibur keeps i'm guessing by editorial mandate being forced to trade on their connection to the x-men universe uh, and just the whole professor x is calling and we're all supposed to be like yay the x-men are going to come and save this terrible book that can't sustain itself without them um, there's something kind of i don't know vulgar to that i think it's maybe even cruel to alan davis assuming that's how it went down to, to force him to do stuff like that to shoehorn x-men into his you know brilliant series uh, yeah i mean the next two issues we're gonna have yeah. x-men in the next issue and we're gonna have spider-man in the next issue uh so yeah fair criticism the, and the it's particularly egregious when we we'll talk about the covers when we get there we oh, will we yeah, will yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mav, did you have anything that you wanted to touch on before we before we wrap up? Yeah, it, this does. It, it's pretty obvious, and I know how everybody's going to feel about it. Um, this does one of my least favorite things in comics in this, which is after this entire big, huge battle, Dinosaur Sue is afraid of mice because she's a woman. And it's, it's, didn't this, love thing that. That they, it's this thing that they used to do with the Fantastic Four in the 60s. There was a lot of... We have to remind people that she's the girl. She's a lady, and, yeah. And, and so, so it's like, oh my God, there's a mouse. Someone get it. And I'm like, you just fought monsters. 
like <laughs> not like yesterday, like a moment ago, you know? <laughs> so like, so like, why are you bothered by this mouse? It doesn't make any sense. And, and it didn't make sense in the sixties, like ignoring the sexism of it. It's just dumb. It, like the logic of it is just dumb. And I don't understand why it was ever done. And particularly not in 1992. I have to correct one thing, which is that her name is not Sue. Her name is Evisiguanodon. But <laughs> no, also... her name's not invisible. Well, isn't, isn't, isn't her human? I mean, her dinosaur name? I mean, yes, her, yes, her, yes, her yes, real name is. was probably I know. Sue. I yes, know. Not, <laughs> not in, not in, in, I mean, I'm impressed that you could say it. I don't know. <laughs> No, but I mean, the thing I was thinking about, though, was that I was wondering if it was intentional, you know, the very stiltedness of that dialogue and everything sort of in some of those dinosaur segments, because I mean, it is trying to be very stilted and silver agey. But at the same time, that doesn't like excuse that joke, because it wasn't funny that it is not funny now. So it is just dumb. I mean, the one thing I wanted to mention, I'll give the last word to the Edelmans was that we touch base with Gatecrasher, who has been drinking herself into a stupor because of her failure with hard boiled Henry and her exile to Earth. As we will recall, the rest of the TechNet went off with the special executive to a fun new life of intergalactic adventure, but Gatecrasher is apparently stuck on Earth. I really don't know how I feel about this. I sort of don't like this turn for her in the sense that it diminishes her power in a way that makes me a little bit uncomfortable. I found myself kind of rhapsodizing about how strangely important she is to me the last time we saw her in Excalibur 42 and seeing this turn for her I don't know how I feel about it I don't know just wanted to bring it up I do like that she is feeling bad specifically about hard-boiled Henry because hard-boiled Henry is a deceptively popular character as we talked about (laughs) when we talked about Excalibur 42 and seeing that she has a very strong connection to the gender fluid potentially hard-boiled Henry is interesting but it doesn't really go anywhere in this particular issue so it'll have to be something we talk about in the future but i don't know did, did either just before we moved did, like did either of you like anybody have sort of feelings about that turn for gatecrasher or was i the only one that felt weird about it i mean she's been a protagonist before right so yeah she, she she's got some implied dignity happening there already that's so true. i think for me I, I read it as okay if it's going somewhere right like, yeah like, like that's if true it's designed to shine a spotlight on her again fair Edelman's coming to you with the last word. Anything about this comic that you want to make sure that we talk about before we put it in the rearview mirror, or even just general thoughts about dinosaurs? The floor is yours. Uh, I was uh, I was talking with Chris about it as I was finishing up the issue. I was like, oh, I really like uh, Kitty's glasses, but uh, I was going to ask you about Kitty's look on the last page. <laughs> but also, like, I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen like. Kitty is a 40-year-old woman before. (laughs) (laughs) She does not get the sexy PJs. Um, She is like fully clothed and looks pretty, pretty haggard here. So I was like, this is, she was, she maybe looked a little bit more put together as, as a dinosaur. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) This was like odd model, odd character modeling for Kitty. Definitely. It definitely stood out. She's got, you know, kind of like a matronly 40s comic strip look kind of going on here, which is an odd choice for her. It's one of the things where I feel like maybe Braithwaite was just like, I I don't want to draw a a young girl in, in, in pajamas. So like just decided to put her in full clothes. But also the drawing's not like it's not great. Even even in the full clothedness of it, <laughs> so it was a bad choice, I think, all around. <laughs> How about you, Chris? Any final thoughts? Hmm. 
I'm shocked you haven't said yet the dinosaurs should have had feathers. Oh, well, that wasn't that wasn't super known at this point in time. So <laughs> I kind of get it. OK, so you you are forgiving. Now, here. in retrospect, imagine Nightcrawler with blue, like blue downy feathers. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm in. <laughs> Yeah, would have been, been great. I, when we come, when inevitably this universe get, gets come, like gets like one more issue at some point because some comic writer, as like a kid, absolutely loved it or something. You know, right. that, some things like that happen. Uh, that's what's going to happen. Kurt is going to have. Um, you're you're calling your shot. I'm calling. You're, the you're pointing out there. to left field. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when we return to the Excalibur dinosaur universe for for possibly like a better metaphor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm here for it. I mean, we have a number of talented artists who listen to the podcast. If they want to draw us for it, we'd be very grateful. Oh, it'd be so cool. Oh. I, I'm also, so I'm, I, I am such a mark when people draw dinosaurs well in comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was not, this was not that, yeah. that for me, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, Pepe Larraz does a really good dinosaur. Even like oh, his, yeah. his weird yeah. fantasy dinosaurs look really good. So are you, are you saying you need Pepe Larraz to draw a feathered dino nightcrawler. Gosh, yeah. oh, you know what? Kill Pepe it. is listening. We we could have we could have gotten this commission like three years ago or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> we were at the con with him, and he had he he had been he got announced at the con as being like the Hawkspox artist, but he had not like hit his height of popularity yet. And he was still doing like sketches for like dirt cheap, mm. like fifty bucks or something. It was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Oh, should have gotten it. <laughs> <laughs> Only added to the time travel checklist. <laughs> <laughs> is there a checklist? You were talking about checklists earlier. <laughs> there is now. It has one thing on it. There's <laughs> one thing on it. That most important thing. Go back in time and get Pepe Larraz to do a fifty dollar commission of dinosaur nightcrawler with feathers. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I support mm-hmm. this choice. <laughs> <laughs> all right we usually touch base with the sword strokes letters page in closing i'm not gonna read any of the letters but one of the focuses of this particular sword strokes letters page is touching base with a number of excalibur fan clubs and i just wanted to note the names of them for our listeners because they're kind of fun and cute so we have the phoenix force uh fan club obviously for fans of rachel summers we also have we've mentioned this one before the soulmates fan club and that's soulmates with an exclamation mark that's important and that's specifically a fan club for fans of kitty pride and iliana rasputin you have to be fans of both of those characters to be fan (laughs) to be in the soulmates exclamation mark fan club and i don't know how i missed this in a previous issue but apparently we had somebody creating the nightcrawler fan club in a previous issue which its name of course is bamf and there are addresses for all of these fan clubs i doubt any of them still exist but if you want to try to write to any of these lovely people i suppose you could technically try i mean i'm tempted for yana and kitty i know soulmates (laughs) exclamation mark mav so good what's gonna happen to us well i don't exactly know but whatever it is nobody's gonna leave you that's right little guy we'll all stay together yeah, yeah, and hey, I'm sure it'll all work out okay. Yeah. After all, dinosaurs have been on this earth for 150 million years. And it's not like we're going to just disappear. Yeah. 
All right. I think we will wrap things up there. Chris, Christy, thank you so, so, so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having us on. Yeah, it was delightful. Mm -hmm. Thank you. We are thrilled to be able to talk dinosaurs with you. Um, before we go, we should remind our lovely listeners of the stuff that you get up to. Plug your podcast. Tell us about it again. Plug your writing. Anything else. If you want people to find you online, let them know where you can, they can find you. You are welcome to follow the podcast at Chris's Pod on Twitter or Facebook. Um, what stuff are you guys writing for ComicsXF these days? Uh, Christy and I are, are collaborating currently on mm -hmm. the Devil's Reign X-Men mini. That's right. Uh, reviews. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also writing with kind of a rotating team on X-Lives and X-Deaths of Wolverine. Oh, nice. That's right. The site's coverage mm -hmm. has been very fun on that to have the rotating teams. And of course, everybody's been killing it. Um, thank you both so, so, so much again. Yeah, thank you. Thank, thank you, you very much. Next, in one week's time, we will be discussing Excalibur 52, all you ever wanted to know about Phoenix but were afraid to ask, in which we're retconning the Phoenix Force again. <laughs> but we'll make it interesting, we promise. In the meantime, if you liked what you heard, please follow us, like, and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it or watching it. Don't forget to check out the fabulous YouTube videos, which we've done for many of our earlier episodes, which you can find via the Vox Popcast YouTube channel or our very own website. As always, if you want to chat with us about Excalibur or pitch yourself as a guest for a future episode, let us know. You can reach out via our website, got some fun extras, and via Twitter at GoshGollyWow, where we post daily pages from whatever issue we're reading that week and more fun extras. Thank you, Andrew and Mav, for another tremendous conversation. Thank you, Chris and Christy, for lending us your smarts. Thank you all for listening, and a special thanks to Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our truly epic theme song. Play us out. I tried so hard to work dinosaur puns into this outro, and I, <laughs> at one point, I was Googling dinosaur puns, and I was like, this is way too much work. I need to just leave it, because I'm not going to excel at this particular task. Well, I hope it doesn't become a sore subject. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>